Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. So I want to get straight to the good stuff but I should probably give you some kind of preface. These are six things to do to find and or develop your style as a creative. This is one of the biggest questions that gets asked, and I feel like I've learned a lot of practical stuff about finding your style. You know, I talked to Lisa Congdon a few episodes ago about finding your voice. I think finding your voice, there's this deep, base note of a quality it's kind of a mystical experience but your style you know if your if your voice is more of your why and and your what your style is more of your how and i think it ebbs and flows it changes over time i think it it ultimately is just some decisions that you make and uh and putting in work and noticing things and i feel like because i've actually developed a lot of different styles for different things i think i know a lot about this subject subject and i've learned a lot over the years that i wish i knew 10 years ago when i was just starting out so here it is six things to help you find your style let's get straight to number one Okay, the first thing you got to do when building your style is you got to familiarize yourself 
with the building blocks of style. What is style made up from? To explain what I mean by that, I'm going to talk about what I call your style big bang. I think you've got to think about building your style like you're building a world that doesn't exist. The inception point of that world that you're building is the moment back in the day when you first got passionate and obsessed with this particular medium. You remember when you fell in love with illustration, you fell in love with design, you fell in love with film, you fell in love with uh, comedy, you fell in love with role-playing out in the woods with swords. Maybe that's your creative medium. I, I don't know. But that moment when you just freaking went nuts and you were a super fan for this thing for the first time, for me, it was in high school. I got into gig posters and I was on fire. That explosive energy is your style's big bang. It's, your, it's the start of your creative universe. That passion set off a cataclysmic, a catalytic event, and it burst forth all of this new life, this new universe that became your creative career. That is your style's big bang. And in this moment, this explosion of passion all of these different molecules just burst forth in a chaotic, uh, disparate series of, I don't know, mind-bending explosiveness. <laughs> but what are these molecules? What are the molecules, the building blocks of your creative universe? I believe that they are, first and foremost, your influences. That's obvious probably to everyone that got excited about a particular art form at a particular time. They got so pumped about this very particular type of creativity and these very particular creative heroes that it's what was the catalyst for them wanting to create their own stuff. Some lesser known molecules in this style, this creative universe big bang, are your identity, it's your identity. So who you are on a molecular DNA level, your mom and your dad, what they gave you, like it or not, that's a part of the building blocks of your style. They are your experiences, the things that happen to you, the nurturing, not just the nature of who you are. And then on top of that, it's not just your experiences, but it's your experiments as, as you go make stuff. The accidents that happen, Bob Ross moments, happy accidents, things you didn't mean to do, you own those experiments. They're part of your flair, your style. These are all the building blocks of style and your passionate love affair with this particular creative medium, this passionate explosion created a style big bang and just flew these molecules flying throughout your creative universe in a chaotic sea of madness. That was the start. That was the inception of your style. That's first step one. Familiarize yourself with the building blocks. Step two. This is where the problem arises. This is the trickiest point of the process of developing and choosing a style. 
And step two is push past the gap. We've talked about this before on this show, and we're going to talk about it again because you're going to find yourself in the gap more than once in your career. Every time you set off on a new creative journey in which you will have many along the greater journey of your creative career, you're going to find yourself in the gap. This is Ira Glass's idea. He said that we all start our creative journey because we have good taste. And he's talking about our creative career, our creative universe, Big Bang, our good taste, our excited moment when we're freaking pumped about making stuff because we got excited about our hero's creative work. We all get started because of that. But what happens is after that big bang, after that explosion, we go to try to make meaningful connections between these disparate building blocks. We try to connect our influences with our experiences. We try to connect our experiments with our DNA and the connections we make look disgusting. We put this thing together with that thing and we step back and we say, no, this is bad. It is bad that I have made this drawing. It is a bad thing that has happened. These connections, we connected that molecule with that molecule in this Big Bang and it is terrible and I hate it. Either you connect this influence with your experience and it's too much like your influences and you're ashamed. Or you connect, that you're speaking from your experiences, you're in that experimental mode, but it looks nothing like your influences. It looks nothing like the stuff that you actually like. And Ira Glass calls this the gap. It's the gap between your taste. You've got good taste, but you've got bad work. That same taste that got you into this work is telling you that you suck. And most people stop there without making any interesting, meaningful connections between these disparate molecules. You go to their portfolio, you go to their album, you go to their Instagram, and it's just golden corral, baby. It's just freaking, you know, some pot stickers over here and some lasagna over there. You know, there's that influence, there's that influence. There's something that's really true to them, but it looks horrible. And there's an experiment they did that's god-awful. It has nothing to do with their taste, but it's an experiment. And it's just all of these disparate parts. There's no meaningful connections between these molecules. And... The thing you've got to do in this season, in this step two, is push past. Don't stop at a golden corral, all-you-can-eat buffet of disparate molecules. <laughs> so we are golden buffet. It's a cosmic buffet. Cosmic golden, golden corral. Uh, don't stop there. Don't camp out there. So many people lose themselves in the creative career golden corral and they give up and they think I'll never have a style. I'll just be one of these people, a chameleon that goes all over the place, a mockingbird that's just constantly copying a whole mess of different styles. Now your style can be loose. Your style can be agile. You, but ultimately, if you are going to have a thriving creative career, I think you have to have a point of view. So you have to recognize the gap is uh, is inevitable. The gap is normal. The obstacle is fine, but push past that discomfort. I think you can think of it this way. Creativity is just the bravery of attempting things that might not work, 
Being an artist is bravely doing that risky behavior in front of an audience, in public. That's, that's all creativity is. Creativity is willing to push through the gap to say, I don't know if connecting this thing to that thing is going to work out. Because if it was obvious if it was going to work out, that's not creative. All of the obvious connections is whatever the opposite of creativity is. Creativity is the bravery of attempting things that might not work and you don't know whether they're going to work until you've done it. That's why it's so important to make those connections, put them down on the page, make those terrible drawings, make those terrible songs and do it publicly. That's called being an artist. Number three is accepting that style is a choice. Now, a few weeks ago, we had Lisa Congdon on the show and we talked about finding your artistic voice. I think your artistic voice is something you find, it's something you unearth, it's an innate thing that already exists and you're just uncovering it. It's like, uh, I think Michelangelo with the sculpture and they say, how did you make this beautiful sculpture? And they say, I just cut away everything that didn't look like the sculpture. I just hacked away at it. And I think finding your voice is a lot like that. You're just trying to unearth what's already there. And I think it's quite, there's a mystical side to it. There's a spiritual side to it. But I think finding your style, it's not so much finding as it is choosing. I think about your voice as being synonymous with your why. It's why you are pushed to create that internal mechanism. If you talk about it in business, this is your vision. It's why the company exists. But your style, it's not why you do it. It's how you do it. It follows your voice. Uh, in business, they call it your core values, how we're going to go about doing that. What are our guiding principles that help us make decisions? And that's what your style is. Your style is a decision-making matrix that guides you throughout your career. It is a, uh, it's, the, it's the guidelines that you develop over time that help you make those micro decisions. I think if you realize that creativity is nothing more than a series of choices. Everybody's working with the same, what, 12 notes when they make a song. It's the same 12 notes. The creativity is in the decision-making of pairing those individual notes. And it's the same for building your style. It's the decision-making, decision the choices that you make in which influences to combine with which other influences, which, what, which other experiences, with whichever uh, experiments and, 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 and DNA and identity of who you are. It's the decision of how you're going to make connections between these disparate molecules within your creative universe, Big Bang. Those choices, that is what becomes your style. And if you realize and accept and embrace that it's a choice, that you're taking a stab at it, that you're taking a risk, it might not go right. You're just making, you're just doing the most intuitive thing you can with your gut. You can move past the analysis paralysis. Sometimes I think the reason we can't choose a style is because we think it should be uh, imminent. It should be uh, innate. It should just bubble up to the surface. It should be something we find. And when we stand in front of, in front of all these disparate parts, we feel like it should come together itself. These molecules 
molecules could should come and make these connections and make themselves. But when you realize that it's a choice to be made and actually your biggest superpower as a creative is your decision-making ability, you realize all you've got to do is start making decisions, step back through trial and error and decide which of these decisions are good, which of these decisions are bad. And the more good ones that you can daisy chain together will form a decision-making matrix for you, a set of guidelines, a set of core values that will help you make decisions in split seconds while you're making. That's what your style is. And when you realize that it's choices and it's not something that happens to you or that already exists, you can start actively deciding what to do. And when you're in this place, you can start using some of these next tactics. All right. Number four, we're going to do some combinatorial creativity. We're going to force some of these molecules, these disparate parts into a relationship. We're going to do some arranged marriages between your influences and experiences. And you can just imagine that your desk in your kitchen where you work or your studio in Brooklyn, this is just a scientific chemistry lab. And we're going to do some chemistry equations on how to get some progress in our style. So I love this band. It's a pretty fairly new band. It's called Sandy Alex G. It's like my favorite band right now. And the, one of the things I love about it is they take two of my favorite bands and they kind of mash them together. So it feels very much like Elliot Smith mashed with Built to Spill or uh, Elliot Smith mashed with Modest Mouse. And these are two things that don't have obvious things in common. The only thing they have in common is Sandy Alex G. But it's this combination that I never knew that I needed, right? And that's the job of the creative scientist in the lab making these unusual combinations. And the thing, the other thing that happens is he smashes Elliot Smith with Built to Spill and filters it through the lens of his own life experiences, his deep, authentic life experiences. And so here's what I'm going to suggest you do. One of the hugest breakthroughs for me in my style was when I combined two of my most disparate influences, seemingly completely almost contradictory, combined them together and made a piece about something very deeply important to me in my experience. So I took Alexander Girard, from the mid-century. He was a designer. He's one of my biggest influences. And I took Fraggle Rock, this underground world that's kind of weird with all these bizarre characters and this, you know, teeming with unusual bizarre life and Muppets and um, puppetry. And I tried to figure out how could I draw something that feels both like Fraggle Rock and like Alexander Gerard uh, at the same time? And how, how about the subject matter, the content will be, I'm going to make a piece about my mom. That's what it's going to be about. She's going to be the inspiration for that. And I just forced 
these molecules into a relationship. And the first time you do it, again, it's going to be risky making those connections because you don't know if it's going to work. And in fact, if you're doing real creative stuff, then it, it can't really even make sense until you force them onto a page. And so that's my, uh, that's, uh, you know, one of the first steps is to just force some connections. Take one of your influences and another influence that couldn't seem further apart. And instead of, you know, one of the things I see all the time is people say, well, I'm really, really influenced by this line work heavy stuff, but I'm also really influenced by this decorative shape based stuff. And I just, you know, it's just these two disparate parts of my portfolio and I just can't seem to, uh, pick one. And I'm like, pick one. Are you crazy? Creativity is about combinations. If you find yourself in a fork in the road, I don't know whether to go that way or that way in my style, go yes and, both and, not either or. Though that connection making is actually the definition of creativity. In my own style, when you step back from it, it might look like a living breathing organism. But if you zoom in, if you take a microscope, you're going to see it's nothing more than a series of combinations of these molecules. And so you've got to start somewhere, force some of these connections to happen in your little creative chemistry lab and see what happens. Step back, make some judgment calls. Those judgment calls of this is good, that's bad, making those choices and uh, you have to, you make those choices and put them together long enough, string enough of them together and that's where you're going to find this style. All right, the fourth way you're going to find some pieces of your style is to go dumpster diving at, uh, in the dining halls of the creative gods, your creative heroes go dive in their dumpsters. What are great scraps, table scraps that they left behind that you can integrate and elevate into your creative work. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you're a chef and you go to a restaurant and you have this amazing entree, but you're like, dude, the side dish is so much better than the main dish. Maybe that side dish inspires your entire restaurant. I'm going to explain how that's happened to me. When I was a kid, I watched He-Man all the time. I thought it was awesome, but I only really liked the character Orko. He's this like mystical character. His face is hiding in a shadow um, under a hat and, you know, with this cloak. You can only see his eyes in the shadows. And I was just like, man, why can't every character in this story be like Orko? Everyone else in this freaking show is, the design is stupid. I hate it. But that guy's so cool. Why can't they all be Orko? And my probably most famous creative work uh, is called Invisible Things. And Invisible Things is just basically a cast of creatures that's virtually all orco. They're orco energy. And so how can you go dumpster diving in the scraps and the side dishes and the, uh, of your creative superheroes? I'll give you another example. Paul Rand, mid-century designer. I'm a huge fan of his work. He did this poster for IBM. He designed the IBM logo and he did all this brand identity work, all this brand collateral. And there's this one poster he made 
And instead of it being the letters IBM, it's an eyeball sign symbol, a B, a bumblebee symbol, and then the letter M. And it's just so perfect. It's so choice. It's delicious. I love it. And the B, especially the bumblebee, is just like a few stripes, two little like teardrop things for wings, and two pink dots on the top floating above the bumblebee's body. And I was like, oh man, there's something about the eyeballs floating over this bumblebee's body that is just my freaking jam. And so that little tiny choice, that little table scrap of Paul Rand became a staple within my work. Lots of my characters have eyeballs floating above their body. And I think that kind of influence is warranted. I think it's, uh, I think that's where the great stuff comes from. If you take some delicious thing that really goes unexplored or, or unexploited by your creative superheroes. I think it's your job to authentically steward them into the future. It's like as if we were scientists and you went through your hero's journals and you realized, oh man, they left an equation unanswered, unfulfilled. And actually, if that, we take that piece forward, we're going to have all these new scientific breakthroughs. And so go back through your influences. Maybe it's a band that there's one song on one random record where they explore this sound that they don't really uh, pick up anywhere else. And it's like, this is their best song. What if you made a whole album inspired by that song? Dumpster dive in the dining halls of your creative gods. Find those table scraps and integrate them into your decision-making matrix, into your style. Number six is create a side band. So recently, I was working on another installation of the Color Me, Color In wall mural that I created with my buddy, Andrew Nyer. And we've done about 12 of these installations. And the vernacular, the language of the work that we're putting on the wall has become so developed that this past time I realized that we had between us invented a new creative universe, a new style from scratch. You know, I love there's this uh, quote from Carl Sagan. He says that to create a pie from scratch, the first thing you've got to do is create the universe. Like you can't really make anything from scratch without creating a universe from scratch. Like that's the real creating a pie from scratch. And I realized within this project, the Color Me project, our styles had merged in such a way and we had put so much work in together and we had done it through a particular medium and we made all these particular choices that we had effectively invented a completely different style than my work or his his work and it had become its own thing. And the interesting thing about it is that it was a style created in a vacuum. It happened in a much less organic way, in a much more per, uh, uh, particular way. We chose these things. And because it existed within this project only, it was so easy for me to make take to take uh, to make some 
conclusions and some takeaways from this process. And so I want to share with you, first of all, what I learned was there's some real value in creating a sideband. A sideband is like a vacuum. You see, the thing about your creative universe, your main band, if you will, whether you play music or not, whatever it is, your, your personal portfolio. The thing about it, it's kind of like your house. Like everybody's house smells in some way. There's a particular smell, but you can't smell your own house. And that's okay as long as that smell's not funky, right? But sometimes in your style, you're so used to your own work, something's gone off, something's gone wrong, but you're so familiar with it that you can't quite smell it and you gotta step back from your house, you gotta step back from your main band, and you gotta go create in a totally different container in a completely different vacuum from scratch. That's the power of a sideband. And while working with Andrew, making these decisions, I will often have breakthroughs that I take back to my main practice. I will see some things in my work that I hadn't seen before when I'm creating this totally new vernacular in a completely separate creative universe. And so the first thing you gotta do is have some sidebands, have some, and it, it might just be with you. It doesn't have to be collaborative. Start a new Instagram, start a new personal project. It's a simple way. And this particular project, this body of work, you're gonna do it slightly different, okay? You're gonna create some new choices in this vacuum and it's got to have a very particular container a start and an end or a clear definition for you to get the most out of it so the first thing you gotta do with that is start a sideband the second thing you got to do is define your influences the interesting thing about the influences on this sideband that i have with andrew nyer is that the influences are my work and his work this, this work that we do together, it might as well be another person who's super influenced by my illustration and super influenced by Andrew's illustration. So those are our influences. And when you start a sideband, that's probably the first step that happens. I've never done it because I don't make music, but you sit around, you talk about what are our influences? Who are we both? What's the Venn diagram between my, what I'm super pumped about right now and what you're super pumped about? So with this new side project or side band or, or a side band vacuum, the first thing you gotta do is define your influences. The second thing you gotta do is choose your instruments. What, are you gonna be a guitar and uh, drums band? Are you gonna be a synth band? You gonna, what, do you, what are the instruments you're gonna use? What are you gonna filter these influences through? For us, it was this uh, paint marker, this Montana, paint marker that has a very particular nib at a, and it's a particular size and we're both using the same marker and we don't use that marker in our regular work so we're already already filtering those influences through a new medium that's one of the easiest ways to start to diversify your work away from your heroes is use mediums they don't use because it'll force you to make decisions that they wouldn't make. And so it's interesting because this marker that we use, it's something that someone like Keith Haring would use. And Keith Haring isn't really an influence on either of us. And so that, but it's just an automatic thing. We've had people be like, oh, this is kind of like Keith Haring. And we're like, huh, that's weird because he's not an influence of ours, really. We've ne neither of us have ever been super fans, nothing against him. It's just, that's never done it for me. 
So the instrument matters. Choose your instruments. The third thing you got to do with the sideband is set up some rules, some boundaries, some constraints, make some judgments, take some choices. Take some risks by making some judgment calls. What are you going to do? What are you not going to do? One of the things after the second show we did, we realized we are going to hold the markers in a very particular way so that every line we put on the wall is the same stroke, the same line weight, so that everything looks like it's created by the same hand, this uniformity. That was one of the first constraints we made. And we even added some different things like, okay, you can do a regular line. You can do a dot that's the same line width as the line. You can do a point. You can, do a, you can finish a line with a point. You can finish it with a straight edge or you can finish it with a curve, like a, like a, like a dot at the end of a line. And we talked through all of these decisions as we were creating. We step back from a line and we say, that is good. Let's keep doing that. We step back from a dot. We say, that is good. We step back from this line weight. And we say, that is good. Let's keep doing that. We daisy chain enough of these that is good decisions and accidents and experiments together. And we started to develop a style. Now, the next thing we did, we didn't realize we were doing it as we started to populate the universe. And so we started, the first couple shows we did were super busy, crazy murals with all kinds of crap going on. They, you know, they weren't that good, really. The line work was all over the place. It looked like two people doing a doodle mashup. But when we started setting these rules, the next show we did, we said, we're only going to do individual objects. So we're gonna do, we're gonna draw a shoe next to a tack, next to a marker, next to a pencil, next to a frog, next to a person. And they're all gonna be these disparate parts uh, and we're going to not repeat ourselves. We can't put one object on the wall that we've already put on the wall before. And we actually did that rule for like five or six shows. For like five or six shows, we didn't repeat ourselves. If there was a shoe on the wall on, in wall one, we couldn't put a shoe. We could put a boot, but not a shoe, another rule. And so what we ended up doing was we were actually creating a style guide. We were populating the universe. We were creating a vernacular of things that we could pick and choose from. And then the past three or four shows, we've put it, we've synthesized all of that stuff. And so we took that vernacular, that that universe, that world that we built through each individual thing, what a shoe likes, looks like in this world, what a baseball bat looks like in this world, what a tack looks like in this world, what an olive with a sword toothpick through it looks like in this world. And we put it all together and we did a giant scene like we did the first couple shows, but now through the lens of this style that we had established. And we had, we had created a style from scratch in this way. And in that vacuum, I think I learned so much pragmatic uh, ideas and takeaways about how a style gets developed. I could smell the scent of my own house, some things that went funky, and bring it back to my main practice and update the whole thing. All right, so this is your homework for this episode. Go ahead and design your 
periodic table, your style periodic table. You've got your medals, your, the, you know, your influences, noble gases, your experience. It's a gas of a time. Your experiences, your formative memories. What are the big things that shaped you? Your halogens, maybe. That's your DNA. Who are you? What's your identity? Who are you as a person? What are you on a molecular level that you got, not from your nurturing, but your nature from your parents and your radioactive, the explosive stuff, your experiments? Go ahead and create a periodic table with your influences, your experiences, your DNA, and your experiments. And once you've done that, those are your raw materials for your style. Then you can choose an instrument or a medium. Combine these things through the lens of a new medium or material or instrument, and then create some controls, give yourself some rules, and then start populating your world. Start saying, what does a shoe look like in my world? What does a person look like? What is an eyeball? What's a nose? What is a spaceship? What, what are the things? And even if you're not drawing, even if you're a filmmaker, you can use this. You know, Jim Henson, I read about in his biography, he did this uh, thing called a, the timepiece, and it was essentially a short film, and it was like this disparate batch of clips about time, but it was just a bunch of different things, and it was basically like a, a glorified style guide of this is kind of what I want my films to feel like. He didn't maybe do that on purpose, but that's how I see it. If you go look at it on YouTube, you can see Henson's timepiece. It's super wacky, but if you're a filmmaker, you get your periodic table of styles, you pick your instrument, you pick your uh, rules, and then you say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm going to film 100 things to populate this world that I'm building. What does it look like when I do a straight on shot? What does it look like an angled shot? What is the classic, uh, you know, coming up from the submarine shot? You know, that <laughs> classic shot. Why did that come to mind? What does a shoe look like in my world? Like you just, you could make, you could see how someone like Wes Anderson comes from this point of view of like just populating. What does it look like for me to do this thing and create a project or a sideband where you just populate that thing with 100 pieces and then string it together and call it a short film like Henson did. You could do it with choruses. You could say, you know, what are all the, what are 50 types of songs that you could write? A breakup song, a celebration song, an ego song, a power song. Like what are all the different types of songs? And then filter it through your periodic table, through your instrument, through your rules. And when you've populated that, you will have a bespoke from scratch style but start by creating your periodic style table. So I hope this episode encourages you as you're sorting through the chaos. The entire creative journey is a process of bringing order to the chaos of these big bangs, big or small, small bangs, big bangs, all the bangs in between. They're gonna, you're going to have lots of them throughout your creative journey. And it's so easy 
on the back of a really huge breakthrough where things really break down and they explode and the passion just it freaking blows up these molecules in every other direction. It's so easy to follow up that excitement with the discouragement of the chaos that is before you. Almost every breakthrough I've ever had has come uh, instantly followed by the reality of putting in the work and how messy and chaotic it is. And it reminds me of a thing that I heard uh, spiritual philosopher Rob Bell say. He said that in the creation story, the Adam and Eve story, that there's this line in the old Hebrew text that says, in the beginning, spirit hovered over the waters of chaos. That the creative spirit, the creative spark and energy, that divine creative spark hovered over the abyss, the void, the chaos. And that just like in that beginning, at the start of all things, at the start of all chaos, wherever there's chaos, creative spirit is hovering above it. And so you might be at the end of your rope, but at the end of all things, when things start to break down, things get chaotic. And it's in that chaos where new connections can be found. And so maybe you got into a place where you're just, you feel like your work is too much like your influences. Maybe you got it to a place where your work is original and it's from your experiences, but it's nothing like the stuff that you're actually excited about. Wherever you are in that chaos, be encouraged that the creative spirit is hovering above those waters. And if you will have the bravery to try things that might not work, if you'll have the bravery to be creative and make creative connections, yes, you are going to connect to things and step back and say, this is bad. But if you daisy chain enough of those combinations, you're going to find one of the sweetest feelings in the world, one of the most human experiences in the world. And it's when we participate in the universe's becoming, participate in the universal creative energy, we combine two things. And just like that divine spirit at the beginning of that text says, we step back and we say, it is good. All right, thanks for listening. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our Creative Pep Talk soundtrack, Volume 1. You can go check it out on Spotify or Apple Music and listen to it now. Great work music, instrumental stuff that will get you jazzed. It's like epic, electronic, 
journey vibes. I love it. Uh, thanks to Chris Graham of Chris Graham Mastering for audio assistance. If you are in the audio space trying to build a career, check out the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. Uh, they're kind of masters in the mastering space, in the production space. Go check it out. Tons of good business tips for people in the audio world. Thank you to all of you who are listening in week in, week out. Couldn't do it without you. You guys pep me up. But until we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs>